Well, my name is Scott Schooler. I am the senior associate pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Started as the student pastor and have transitioned into the position I'm in now. Well, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, very godly parents. My dad was a deacon. I grew up in Dewey, Oklahoma, Northeast Oklahoma. Uh, mom was a Sunday school teacher. Uh, so everything that I knew from the moment that I came into this world was Christianity, living in a Christian home, not just church involvement on Wednesday nights and Sundays, Sunday morning, Sunday nights, but just living for Christ throughout our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, when I was seven, we were in a revival service, and my parents had been pouring into me what it mean, meant to be a follower of Jesus and had been sharing the gospel with me. And even as a seven-year-old, I knew that I was lost in my sin. So I remember at the invitation time, I went forward, and our pastor at that time greeted me at the front, and I just simply said to him, as a seven-year-old, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And From zero to seven, there's not a lot of egregious sins that you can do, but I did know that I was outside of Christ. And because I was outside of Christ and because of my sin, I knew that I needed Christ as my Savior. In 2007, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. And it was, a, it was a pretty optimistic outlook. Initially, it was, we're gonna do surgery, we're gonna do 20 rounds of radiation, there's a 99% success rate, so pretty confident. My kids were young, so that was difficult, letting the kids know that dad had cancer, but it was gonna be okay. So I went through my uh, radiation, went through surgery, went through radiation, everything looked good. About a year and a half later, I was on a mission trip and I hit my head pretty hard and had some serious pain in my neck. And, uh, went to see the doctor and found out that my cancer had come back. It had come back in my spine uh, that had eaten through. There was a tumor that was eating through my T1 vertebrae. And at this point, since the cancer was out, it was stage four. And uh, that's when things got really intense. But really, um, my walk with the Lord, my relationship with Christ, I remember calling my mom and telling her that my cancer was back and we weren't certain as to what was gonna happen. But I told her, I said, Mom, I have a real confidence that regardless of what happens, God is in control and everything's going to be fine. And, and really, my desire was to not mess up what God was going to use to point people to Him. I had spent all these years sharing Christ with people and telling people that Christ will carry them through the difficulties in their life. And now I was facing a difficulty. So it was my test. It was my trial. And I didn't want to fail God in that. So what do I do in my day-to-day -day walk with the Lord to keep things fresh and all of that? Uh, every morning, I do my Bible reading, try to focus on the content of what's being said and try and find something that uh, is applicable to where I'm at, to what's going on in my life. I get a lot of, I get a lot of time that I can spend in prayer. Um, we moved seven years ago to our property out here and it's 20 minute drive. I initially thought that I wouldn't like that, but I really do like that because it gives me an opportunity to reflect or to prepare. As I'm going in, I can prepare for the day, things that are coming, and ask the Lord for guidance and leadership. As I'm coming back home, I can kind of reflect on the day and <clears throat> give praise to God for the good things, ask God for help in the difficult things because there are difficult things. Um, another thing that's very, very important to me is I meet with a lot of men for accountability. We read a lot of books, we talk about what we're reading, we talk about life, we talk about 
parenting and for me now grandparenting and and marriage how to be a better husband we again hold each other accountable in that I try to put good things in if that makes sense uh, as far as things that I listen to and the music that I enjoy I really feel like if I'm filling myself up with things that are God honoring then that's going to help me in my daily walk and, and my growth If you got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 15. As you're turning there, I'm thankful uh, for, to the Lord for Jesus and uh, that he's made it possible for us to have a right relationship with him. And I'm also thankful for Scott Schooler and uh, his, his life and his ministry. And next February will be 25 years he's served here. Just remarkable. And uh, I know that he's blessed many of you in different ways in the time that you've been a part of IBC, uh, but I'm also thankful for his testimony of God's faithfulness of what it means to invest in the most important relationship. He did that by trusting Jesus as, a, as his Lord and Savior at seven, and then he still does that by abiding in him every single day. And uh, as we begin this series on relationships, we're talking about our focus on our relationships. This week is about the most important relationship that is with Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about What's my role within the church? How, you know, the relationships that exist within the church. We'll look at biblical friendship uh, on April 30th. And then on May 7th, we'll talk about what's the purpose of marriage and my marriage. And then on Mother's Day, we'll talk about what does it mean to be a grace-filled family. And so those, those are the relationship topics we'll cover. And so when I think about uh, the most important relationship, you're going to probably find this to be a little bit uh, interesting, but I think about dirty dishes in a sink, okay? Um, <clears throat> sometimes we'll have dinner. Laura does the majority of the cooking in our house because uh, she's just gifted in that way. I do some cooking, but there are occasions where we'll cook dinner. We'll leave the pot on the stove and leave it on simmer while we have dinner. And then when we come back, you, you know what happens, right? It gets a little bit hard, sticks to the side. And then... When, I'm a, when I wash dishes, this is just how I am. If I'm going to wash one dish, they're all getting washed. I'll find every dirty dish that can be found and wash them. Why? Because I don't want to have to come back and do them at any other time. When, they, when I leave, that's what happens. So we'll have a situation. We'll have a, you know, maybe we've had baked beans and the beans are, you know, have now dried to the side of this pot and I'll just scrub it and scrub it and scrub it and scrub it. And Laura's like, if you'll just put that in hot water, with some Don dish soap for a little bit, it'll be a lot easier. And I don't, I don't listen to her. I still scrub. Why do I share that with you? Because it's a lot like our relationship with Jesus. Religion tells us that we've got to put some work in in our lives when it comes to our faith in Jesus, where we've got to put the work in and we've got, we've got to make it work. We've got to put some elbow grease to it. We've got to do these things. But a relationship with Jesus says, I need you to soak. I need you to sit and soak. And there's some significance that comes with that. Because when we belong to Jesus and we place our faith and trust in Jesus, it's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing action. And we're going to talk about that this morning as we look at John 15. Jesus is giving the disciples, this is a part of the farewell discourse, Jesus is with him in the upper room moments before his arrest and his, his, 
his trial and his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection. And he's giving them some final words here. And what he's talking to them about with this last I am statement that John records is, is about what does it mean to be a true disciple? Now, if we were to read this in its full context in, in the previous chapters, we would know that Judas is, Judas is not present with them. He's already been dismissed. And so he's talking to the remaining 11 and there's some significance that comes with it because I think we'll see a picture of Judas in this text as we pointed out. But it's a hard question for us to ask ourselves. What are we doing to invest in the most important relationship in our life? And so let's read John 15, 1 through 11 together this morning. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments and you you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. As we look at this text, there are three things that I believe we can do to invest in our relationship with Jesus. That's one, abide in him. Two, endure the pruning that he will do in our lives when we abide in him. And then three, bear his fruit. Listen, Jesus refers to himself in verse one, I am the true vine. By saying this, he, there's a suggestion that there was some other false vine that existed. We know, from, uh, we know from studying, but also the disciples would have been able to connect this illustration of the vine and the branches. Everywhere they went, there would have been vine and branches and grape, these, these places where they could have gotten grapes from. It would have been a very common illustration for them. But vine and branches and fruit uh, was a part of the Old Testament way of describing Israel. That Israel, the nation of Israel, was God's, divine, was God's vine that he had established. And they were to produce fruit. Unfortunately, as we read Isaiah chapter 5, this kind of vineyard song as they have it, we realize that the nation of Israel couldn't do what God intended them to do, and they faced divine judgment. And so when Jesus says, I'm the true vine... He's, in, he's establishing, just like he did when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the gate, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's basically saying this, it is only through me that you can have life. There, there is no other connection, no other vine that's gonna give you life. You don't have to become a citizen of Israel. You don't have to do these certain things in order to receive that. You just have to believe in me and be connected to me. And so when he declares this, it's almost like a forceful way of saying, I'm it. If you believe in me, you will have life and you'll be connected to the vine. 
And so he uses the word abide and he uses the phrase abide in me multiple times through this. The word abide is used no less than 11 times in this text. It's used some 40 times in the whole gospel and in his epistles that he wrote that are later in the New Testament, it's mentioned 27 times. John was emphasizing the importance of abiding with Jesus. So how do I invest in my relationship with Jesus Christ? The most important relationship, I've got to abide. If you leave this place, I hope that's, the, I hope that's one word that resonates in your head today is the word abide. I've got to abide in Jesus because that's how we invest in this relationship is abiding in him. Abiding is a spoken command. It's not a one-time act. You, you heard Scott's testimony. I, I, I love that he said at seven years old, he walked forward in that revival and said, I need to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's one moment of abiding. That's, his abiding didn't just happen at that one moment and that's it. Abide is an ongoing process. It's a daily decision to invest in the personal relationship I have with Jesus. It's this ongoing idea that as I walk with the Lord, I place my faith and trust in him. I obey what he's telling me to do, that it'll result in fruit in my life. And so this is what it means to abide. But then the phrase, as we see in verse four, abide in me, this phrase abide in me, the phrase in me was used six times in this text. Speaking and emphasizing the importance of a relationship and the source of our greatest relationship in Jesus. Listen, how do we get in with Jesus? How do we abide in Jesus? The, the, here's what I'll say this. People are in on a lot of things. They're in on religion. They're in on church. You know, they're in on the newest fads and, and things that are happening in our culture. But the, there is something to be said about being in Jesus. And the only way that we're in Jesus is by faith. That through his work on the cross, we realize our sin and our need for a savior. We believe that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah of the world, the savior of the world. And then we confess our sin and confess him as Lord and savior. And by faith, we become in Jesus. And also we know well-meaning people that are in religion and in church. There are some of you in this room, you're into church. You're here every week. You're in to religion. You're, 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 Call yourself a practicing Christian. You're a moral and upright standing person. But just because you're into these things, these external things like church and participation in worship services or mission trips, doesn't mean that you're in Jesus. That comes through a personal relationship, not external factors. Works don't get us into Jesus. Only Jesus gets us into Jesus. And so that's what we see when he's establishing this, that you are to abide in me. And then abide, I look at it like this. It's like sap running into the branch, right? If there's no sap in a, in a, in a tree branch, then the branch will die. No sap, no life, okay? When Jesus, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is the life of Jesus that begins to, to move through us. This is the beauty of it. Just like sap moving through a branch, Jesus moves through us and brings us to life and we have it in the fullest. But you'll notice from the text at the end of verse five, when it says, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Listen, we know many people in life who can do a lot of things without abiding in Jesus. You can raise a family, you can work a job, you can be a good neighbor, you can be excellent at all the things in life. You can be really great at your career. You can do all of these wonderful things in life. You can be a good, outstanding citizen who is kind and respectful and give all of your money away. And you can do that all apart from Jesus. And people do it all the time. But you cannot do anything for God apart from Jesus. There's a significance of, of that, that a, you can't do anything for God in his name if you are not connected to him. And so there's this belief that is emphasized in the text that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. It is this belief that helps you abide in Jesus because you can accomplish nothing for God apart from the life that Jesus gives. We can do nothing that pleases him. And listen, the one thing you can't do apart from Jesus is bear spiritual fruit. Sure, you can tie external things to your life that look like fruit, like you're hanging ornaments on a Christmas tree. You can do things like I serve in the preschool or I, I attend church every Sunday or I've gone on a mission trip and you can put these external things on the tree that show that you so-called have fruit. But listen, if you're not connected to Jesus through a personal relationship, that branch is gonna fall off and so will those ornaments. You might have everybody else fooled by putting those ornaments on there as displayed as fruit. But the truth is, is if there's been no inward change inside of you, that branch is gonna be exposed at some point. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. And he says, abide in me and I in you in verse four. Listen, when we, have the life, when we have life in Jesus and we abide in him, we're able to deny sin and live for him. We're united by our faith. And now we have the power to please God. It's this idea that if you abide in me, see that I abide in you, that you're gonna have to spend time with Jesus. You're gonna have to sit with Jesus. You're gonna have to soak with Jesus. Now here's the problem. We love to abide with Jesus when he saves us from hell. We love to abide with Jesus when great things are happening in our life and we can give praise and glory. What happens though is, is we struggle to abide with Jesus when he starts the pruning process. And we start saying, whoa, I don't know if I wanna go there just yet. And see, those who abide in Jesus, they stay put for the pruning process. That's number two, we endure his pruning. Listen, who does the pruning? Jesus is the vine that we're connected to and it's God the Father who is the vine dresser as the text tells us, my father is the vine dresser. And listen, this aligns with the Old Testament scriptures of Isaiah chapter five and Isaiah 27. Even Psalm 80, there's this idea that God is the vine dresser. He's the one who tends to the vine. He's the cultivator of the vine dresser. It is his role to make sure that the vine is producing the fruit that it's supposed to produce. And so we see in verse two, what happens? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so there's two types of branches. There are the branches that bear no fruit and there are the branches that bear fruit. To the ones who don't bear any fruit, he cuts off, he takes away. To those that bear fruit, he prunes you. The, that, these are your options. There's no third option in here, okay? It's, you're one of the two. 
And so when he talks about, let's talk about these two in a little separate here. When he talks about the branches that don't bear fruit, that God takes them away or he cuts them away, okay? The vine dresser takes away or cuts off to ensure the maximum fruit production of the overall vine, right? And so if we as believers are connected to the vine who is Jesus, God's gonna cut away those branches that are dead so that the vine that is in Jesus can, can be what it's supposed to be. Now this tells us that not every branch is a true believer. There are many who claim to be in the vine, but the absence of fruit disqualifies them. And so there's a personal evaluation that has to take place in each of our lives in this room today, where we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, is there fruit in my life? Is there fruit in my life? Is there spiritual fruit being produced in my life? Now, immediately we will automatically start going to the things that we do for God. The things that I've already addressed, church attendance, serving in children and student ministries. And listen, these are all great things, but these are all things we do for God. And listen, for some of us, if we don't belong to the, to the vine, we do those things for ourselves, not necessarily for God. We're doing them so that we'll feel better about ourselves or we'll feel at peace in our minds with what's happening in our life. And so we, we serve and do these kind things. And so we have to ask ourselves, is there spiritual fruit that's coming from this. And I believe that Jesus isn't talking about the things that we do for him. He's doing, he's referring to inner qualities inside of us. Like the sap that's running inside of us as branches, as spiritual branches. These these inner qualities like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These inward things that when they're developed inside of us produce fruit for other people. See, spiritual fruit is not for you. When you're connected to the vine and God's producing fruit in your life, it's meant for other people. He'll use it to sustain other people. He'll use it as a way to attract other people. It's not for you, but for people who don't bear any fruit, It's because they are not connected to the vine. Therefore, the works that they're doing, the things that they're doing for God, these things are done really for themselves. And this is the hard truth of this and why Jesus is establishing this is because they had somebody sitting in their midst who was one of these branches that was gonna be cut off and it was Judas. He walked with Jesus. He followed Jesus. He saw everything that Jesus did. He experienced a a earthly relationship with Jesus. And when he was given a moment, when he was given the chance to stick with Jesus, he chose 30 pieces of silver rather than the savior. And Judas is not with them in this moment and there's remaining 11 and he's talking about, listen, some people refer to these branches, these ones that are cut off, they refer to them as Judas branches, meaning this, they were affiliated with Jesus, but their life didn't reflect fruit of being with Jesus and in Jesus. And we know what ultimately happened with Judas and his life ended and separated from God. 
And so listen, if your life shows no evidence of Jesus, you don't belong with him. And this this is a harder question for each of us to do is because I'm not asking you to do an external evaluation of your life and what you do for Jesus. I'm asking all, myself included, to do an internal investigation and say, are there spiritual fruit being produced inside of my life that is working its way out for the benefit of others and the advancement of God's kingdom? And what happens to these branches is we have to say it because it's in verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned, fire being a symbol of divine judgment. Listen, a fruitless disciple is not a disciple at all. It's not possible to be a fruitless disciple. If you don't bear fruit, the text is clear. You'll spend eternity separated from God. Now, some of us might ask, well, what happens if I don't feel like there's a lot of spiritual fruit being produced in my life? Maybe uh, I haven't been spending time in God's word and, 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 and spending time in his presence and I, I don't feel like much fruit is being produced. Listen, if you belong to Jesus, he will produce fruit in your life. It may not be exactly like you want it to be. It may not even be exactly like he desires it to be. But if you're truly connected to him, there's things that work inside of you because Jesus is alive and inside of you. Now, here's where it gets hard though, because we're gonna talk about the other branch for just a second. I said that we don't have a problem abiding with Jesus when it comes to saving us from spending eternity separated from him but it comes painful and hard to abide in Jesus when he wants to start peeling back the layers of our life and say this, hey, this this piece of your life needs to be attended to. And listen, pruning is a painful process. You know, even if I brought a a grapevine in here with the whole vine and branches and I was gonna demonstrate for you how to prune it, which I have no idea how to do it, by the way, but if I was going to, These are the words that were used when I looked up, how do you prune a grapevine? Words like uh, cutting, removing, topping, thinning. None of those words sound comfortable. In fact, if you and I are to be honest with ourselves, none of that seems to be very interesting at all because all of that sounds like pain. In fact, Kent Hughes said, to the uninitiated eye, it looks cruel and wasteful to do that to the grapevine. But to the experienced eye, it's the only way that healthy, delicious fruit is going to grow. It's the same true for our Christian life. And listen, church, God's commitment to you bearing fruit is far greater than your commitment to comfort. He's gonna do whatever it takes to cut, to top, to trim, to do whatever he's got to do to make it. And listen, he's going to get into your life and he's going to peel out areas, habits and hurts and hangups that you've suppressed and put in the past that you've never dealt with. But he's like, listen, you're not bearing the fruit I want you to bear because you're not dealing with these things. And for whatever reason, we, we've bought into this lie from the enemy that says, listen, God doesn't want you to have to deal with that. You've already worked through that at one time in your life. Let it go. And listen, he wants us to work through these things. He's going to do these things. And as he prunes us, it's going to be painful. But it's not done to harm us. It's done for our good and for his glory. And so he wants to address the sinful areas of your life that are hidden that nobody else knows about. He wants to bring them to the surface. Why? Because he wants you to be who he desires you to be. 
But when these moments come and the pain starts to creep in, we start to push ourselves back. We're like, hey, I'll just take care of the pruning over here because I'll do it a different way. And so we'll try to take care of it of ourselves. But listen, pruning is always gonna hurt. He might prune you as a result of sins and discipline is used to strengthen you. Sometimes your pruning comes as a result of, of bearing abundant fruit because of, of trials and difficulties and failings that you've went through. Listen, no matter the reason for pruning, we're always trying to find ways to avoid it and escape it. Listen, we would think our life would be better if we didn't have to suffer or we didn't have to fail or we didn't have afflictions. Yes, I would agree with you. We would think our life is great. But afflictions and failings and difficulties are not useless. They're, they're very much being used by God in each of our lives to shape us into who he wants us to be, to be fruit bearers. So failing and afflictions and struggles and difficulties, instead of looking at them as these horrible things happening in our life, see them as this is possibly some of the best things that will happen in your life because you're being cut back in such a way that you will bear fruit in the healthiest form just like God intended. We've probably all seen or heard of the Chronicles of Narnia. In Chronicles of Narnia, at the, um, the voyage of the Don Treader, there's a scene that happens. Eustace Scrub is a selfish boy who puts himself in a bad place and he finds himself in a dragon dungeon. But not only is he in the dragon dungeon, but he himself has become a dragon and he's got scales on him. And he's doing everything in his power to remove these scales. And then the lion figure comes in and speaks. He's in a desperate situation. The lion, being the Christ figure in C.S. Lewis' work, comes and speaks to Eustace and he says, you will have to let me undress you. And Eustace recalls being fearful of his claws. But he was desperate. So he laid flat on his back and he let the lion do it. And he recalls the first tear of the lion's claws being so deep, he thought it had gone right to his heart, saying that when he pulled the skin off, it hurt worse than anything he had ever felt. But the only thing that made him able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling those scales peeled off. This is how God's pruning works in our life. We wanna do it ourselves, but we cannot. We won't, we won't remove what really needs to be removed. But as we invest in our relationship with Jesus, his investment in us is that he will prune us so that we might be able to maximize our fruit production. And we will sure look a lot more like Jesus if we will trust him in this process, no matter how painful it will be. And here's the beauty of the pruning process. God is never closer to you than he is in the, in the pruning process. Think about this, when you're cutting back a, a shrub or a tree or, or, or a vine, it's the vine dresser's hands that are close to you, touching you, making sure that it's like it's supposed to be. We think sometimes when the pruning happens in our life that where is God and why is he not here? And the truth is, is he's closer than he's ever been to you because he's allowing this to happen in your life and he's working through it and he has a perfect plan that will maximize your fruit production in your life. And it's a reminder of God's love for us and his commitment to us. He doesn't wanna leave you the same way that he found you. He has something far greater, much more beautiful for your life. And church, this is why pruning 
was never meant to be painful to you or harmful. It may be painful, but it wasn't meant to be harmful for you. It was done for your good. And the more you're pruned, the more of Christ there'll be in your life. And so that takes us to the final point, that we bear his fruit. Listen, this text points us to, you see in verse five, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. And he talks about what happens if you don't abide in him, you'll be thrown away. And then verse seven, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Listen, when you're connected to Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith and trust in him and his life is flowing through you, you will bear fruit. And that fruit will be for the benefit of other people. And then one of the ways that that happens is, is his word is at work in your life. The word of God is nourishment to our life. It is alive and active and useful for helping us become more like Jesus. It's a simple idea that those who are connected to Jesus do more than just believe his words, they abide in them. Meaning this, that this book and the words that are found in it become life to you because they are the very living and active words of God. And as you spend time in them and you keep his words, this is where abiding is found. But in response to that, you begin to do what his word says, which becomes a part of the fruit that other people can partake of. It's why we push reading our Bible. Listen, if you're in a dry spiritual stage of your life and not much fruit is being produced, then the first question you might ask is, is am I keeping God's word? He, he alludes to this in verse three, right? That the, the word of God is used to clean you. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This is what God's gonna do. And so as we grow in intimate knowledge of what God has said, it is these words that become a vital part of our lives and affect the way that we live. If you're living in sin and walking in sin, then it's because you're not keeping these words. You don't keep these words and continue to choose to live in your sin. It's likely that these words have no, other, have no importance to you because you're not keeping them on a regular basis. You're not sitting with God and abiding in his word. And then the other part of this comes that we desire what he desires and we can ask these things. Listen, prayer is like nutrients flowing back and forth between the vine and the branches. Prayer is communication and relationships are strengthened through communication. We know this living life with each other or with our family members or our spouses. If you don't have good communication, then guess what happens? The relationship's not really strong. And so prayer becomes this avenue, this fruit of abiding in Jesus that as we pray, we abide. And as we abide, we pray. And when this happens, our prayers get deeper. And our desires become the same desires of God. Meaning this, now there may be some of you in this room, you pray this, but this is an exaggeration of an illustration. Instead of praying that I win the lottery, I'm praying that lost people will be saved. Instead of praying that my family and my world will be all that I want it to be, I'll start praying, God, what do I need to do to advance your kingdom and build your kingdom? Now, is it bad to pray that God will financially take care of you and that your family will be all that you want it to be? No, but if, if those desires don't align with his, then don't expect him to bless it. 
The text tells us he will get, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. The reason why he's saying that is because he's expecting his disciples to be so connected to him that they've abided with him and spent time with him that the words of their mouth will be the words of him. That the desires of their heart will come from a place of, of, of their understanding of scripture. And because of this, they can ask whatever they wish and he'll do it. It's like Bobby Richardson, the New York Yankee second baseman, who said he once prayed this prayer as recorded, dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, amen. And this should be the prayer of our heart. Another fruit that we see, we see in verse eight, which is Jesus giving permission to the outside world. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Listen, fruit exposes the frauds. When we live our lives when our lives are bearing fruit, we will show to be his disciples. We hear these statements and you'll probably think the same thing that I think. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't do what he says. I love Jesus, but I don't delight in Jesus. Listen, there are people who are this side on these branches who they look like and affiliate with Jesus. They even say things like, I love Jesus and I wanna worship Jesus and I wanna make Jesus known. And they say all the right words, but their life does not show that fruit. Listen, people know that we're from Oklahoma because of our accent or because we say y'all or the Oklahoma standard that exists when crisis happens and they watch how Oklahomans care for each other. People know us by those actions. The same is true for our Christian life. They will know you by the fruit you produce. And if your fruit is only for yourself or it's not bearing any fruit at all, then they're gonna quickly tell that you're not connected to the vine. But if these inward fruits are being produced in you and others are benefiting from it, then they will be able to tell that you belong to Jesus. And then you see here in verse nine, it says, as the father has loved me, I have loved you, abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen, when we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and savior, this is a focus on the mutual love between believers and Jesus, that he loves us and we love him. And the way that we love him is we walk in obedience. Our obedience doesn't earn his love, it's rather evidence of his love. And then the last is found in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Obedience and bearing fruit is not to be drudgery. It should be joy. Jesus, just as Christ had joy in obeying his heavenly father, we should have joy in, obe in obeying him. Joy in Jesus is found in knowing and following him. It's a relationship. It's not a box that FedEx delivers to your porch on a Monday afternoon. Joy is a relationship. It engulfs you, it overwhelms you. But listen, this doesn't mean that every day is filled with easy and all smiles. In fact, some of you walked into this room this morning and your life is anything but easy and smiles. But joy is this. It does mean that you ultimately, your life is marked by confidence that Jesus is greater and more satisfying than anything else in this world. And I'm gonna choose to have joy in the midst of my circumstances, high or low, because Jesus is greater and I'm connected to the true vine. And, and I will show that I have joy 
The joy of the Lord keeps us level-headed no matter how high or low our circumstances go. As Robert Rainey said, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. When Jesus is sitting on the throne of your heart and you're abiding in him, joy will be the flag that is flown for everybody to see no matter what your circumstances are. My prayer this week as I prepared and thought through this, I actually prayed that the positive side of this conversation, the fruit that we produce through Jesus Christ, his word, answered prayers, his desires, living as disciples, remaining in love and experiencing joy. I prayed that these would motivate those in this room that you're affiliated with Jesus but not connected to Jesus, that you would trust in Jesus. That I I pray that the positive side would be enough to motivate you to say, yes, I wanna be connected to the true vine. I also pray that the positive side of these things would take us who are believers to ask ourselves, what does abiding look like in my life? Have I been abiding but not letting Jesus do the pruning process? Because abiding is about waiting for him to prune us so that we can maximize our fruit production so that we can bear his fruit. And so I pray that these positive things would say, as painful as this is going to be, I'm gonna start letting Jesus deal with the things in my life that need to be dealt with, even as a believer. But listen, if the negative side has to be a motivating factor for us, then hear the words of what happens to those who do not bear any fruit. They are cut off, piled up, and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, if you belong to Jesus and you're connected to the true vine, you don't have anything to worry about. But if you're here and you're just an affiliate of Jesus, not connected to him, then you have something to be worried about this morning. But all of us this morning have a choice to make. How will we invest in the most important relationship in our life? Will we abide in Jesus or or will we take care of ourselves? My prayer is is that we'll abide in Jesus this morning. Let's pray together.